Our scripture today comes from the book of Matthew, the 15th chapter. If you've been following along uh, in reading the New Testament Monday through Friday, um, uh, you've read Matthew 15 on Friday. Um, if you haven't, I invite you to grab one of these books on your way out. It's right uh, outside this door and immediately on your left, um, there's a table with books. They're free to you, uh, no charge. We just want to get them in your hands and give you the opportunity to grow in your faith as you read the New Testament throughout the year. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at Matthew uh, 15, beginning at verse 1, I'll go through uh, verse 9. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And by the way, that makes me a little uncomfortable myself, but it's just a side note. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, as we've been uh, reading along, I hope that you have, um, as we've been reading along in the New Testament, um, you've probably found some places where uh, you had some questions and things, you just wondered where they were coming from and what did it mean and, and such as that. And, and so, you know, in the journal part of, uh, of this devotional booklet, there's a spot for you to, to write down those questions, what I'd like to understand better or questions this raised for me. Um, but I want to help you kind of get to how do we understand? How can we come to an understanding of, of what we're supposed to be getting out of a particular verse or verses? Um, just to kind of give you a, a, a way to begin to look at it. So um, as, we, as you start to study scripture, you can start with a superficial level. And, and that's not to say it's shallow or unimportant. It just means that what does it say? And, and can I get something out of, of just clearly what it says? For instance, um, you find in both the book of Exodus, but also in the book of Deuteronomy, those are Old Testament books, you find, thou shalt not kill. That's the old language, but everybody knows what that means, right? Don't kill. Pretty simple. That's, that's, a, that's the superficial meaning is easy to glean from that one. And so much of scripture is there. It's, it's uh, the superficial level. You can, you can take it at face value, I guess, would be what you can say about it. But then you might want to go a little bit deeper. As you dig deeper, thou shalt not kill. Well, I had a hamburger last night. Did I kill? I mean, does this mean animals? Does it mean thou shalt not hunt? I don't know. Does, is that what it's saying? Or... or, or or does it mean uh, just people? And, and then what about self-protection? What about self-defense? Somebody comes at me and I, I stand my ground. That's what the law says. I, I can stand my ground. 
Does it mean that? If I, if, if I kill in, in self-defense, is, is that against that commandment? Or, or, or what if I do it in defense of somebody else? Or what if I do it in war? These are questions that might come to mind. And by the way, I'm not going to answer any of those today. That's a sermon for another time. But it's, it's that digging deeper to begin to ask, what does it mean by kill? How do, I, how do I come to understand that a little bit better? But to learn, to, to grow a little bit more in your understanding, it's helpful to look at the clues that are around the passage that you have questions about. Remember when you were a kid and you were, you were uh, reading a book in, in a class and, and you said, I don't know what that word means. And the teacher would say, well, what does the rest of the sentence say? And what's, what's it say around it? Maybe that'll help you know the meaning. Well, that's the truth with scripture as well. What does it say around it? What does the rest of it say? And maybe we can glean some meaning around that. And so as we read, thou shalt not kill, we recognize that it's a part of what we call the Ten Commandments. Right? And, and if you read more about it and, and go to a broader circle, you, you recognize that the Ten Commandments are, are God's message to Moses to say, I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to be faithful to being your God, and I'm asking you to be faithful to being my people. And so I'm calling you together in this covenant community, the family of God. I'm calling you together, and this is how you live together. This is what people who follow me do, or don't do in this case. It's hard to have a covenant community that comes together that kills each other and call it community. And so you begin to see that in the broader context, what he's saying. He's saying that, that, that we don't do things that, that divide community. Things on the level of murder. We're going to come back to the Ten Commandments in a little bit, but, but that helps you get that, that broader view, a deeper understanding. But as you look at the clues uh, around that, um, that part, that you can, you, be, you can begin to look at the whole of Scripture. Now, the way I read Scripture, I, I read this, I read the Bible as a cohesive story. That even though there's 66 books... And there's not 66 authors. Some authors wrote more than one book. But even though there's multiple authors, it's one message. And I believe that to be true. I believe that, that if you find, for instance, if you find a part of Scripture um, that, that you're uncomfortable with, look at the whole and figure it out. Because we don't have a God who is inconsistent or erratic. We have a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the Scripture teaches God's always the same. God doesn't change. The way God acts toward us has to change because we're the ones that are erratic and, and inconsistent. But God's always the same. And so if this is a consistent story and you, you read a passage and you go, oh my gosh, God's out to get me. Well, I got news for you. God's out to get you. But, but not in the sense that God's looking to smite you. God's not waiting around the corner for you to make a mistake so God can jump out and throw a lightning bolt at you. That's not what I mean when I say God's out to get you. What I mean is God wants you a part of this covenant community. God wants you a part of his family. God's out to get you to join in. 
And to be a part of the covenant family, you recognize that God is faithful and you seek to be faithful to God in return. And part of the way of being faithful is being faithful to one another. And so if you read it from that perspective, then you realize that this cohesiveness of the book helps you with a deeper understanding of what you're looking at. Now, as you look at, at... at that deeper sense of it, you look and you realize that it's, it's commandment number six of ten. It's part of the commandments. Thou shalt not kill part. And, uh, and, and you begin to get that broader story and you look at the relevant background information. But then you also might look at other places where that scripture is used within the text. If you've been reading along, you read uh, the fifth day of our, our uh, um, uh, reading for this year, you read Matthew 5. And in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, you read Jesus' words. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is is doubling down on this covenant community. He's saying, yeah, you don't murder. That's part of being part of a covenant community. But you know what? It's just as divisive if you go to bed angry with each other. And so we've got to figure out how to work out our differences within the covenant community. It's important that we do that, that we work out our differences within the covenant community So, as we look at this passage that I read earlier, I want to look at it with that kind of framework of uh, just seeking to go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper in Scripture. This This isn't some scientific study method or a literary study method. This is just Dave talking, right? It's just how I would go through it. So, let's take that approach. In that Scripture... If you you look at at verses 1 and 2, you have the Pharisees and the scribes coming from Jerusalem to take on Jesus, to to call him to account. Now, the Pharisees, um, back then, the Pharisees were the faithful of the faithful, okay? They they were, if you want to know the way a good Jew is supposed to act, look to them. They They were good religious people. They also kind of went a little overboard. You'd never heard of any religious people that went overboard, right? They went overboard with their faith, a little too far. And that's what Jesus is calling out, and we'll get that that in a minute. The scribes, um, it's interesting, the scribes and the Pharisees agreed against Jesus, but they didn't always agree with each other. You know, theologically, uh, they they were somewhat aligned. Politically, not so much. But they agreed against Jesus, and so they come together to face down. The scribes would be, um, the best way to put it for now, for our purposes, is they were the legal scholars. They understood, they knew all the rules in the Old Testament. They, they, They could write them down for you. Scribes, they probably did write them down for you. So superficially, as, you, as, as they're, they're coming to Jesus about the traditions, um, uh, about this, and it wasn't a matter of, of personal hygiene. 
as much as it sounds like it. It was this, they failed to do the ceremonial tradition that was done before a person would eat. It's kind of like maybe in your household you say grace before you eat, right? There was a tradition around it. Will the food rot in your gut if you don't say grace? Eh, probably not. But it was a tradition. And so even though this tradition has a biblical background, it wasn't a law. It wasn't something God said, you must wash your hands in this manner always. It was just a way of saying grace. God, I, I, I wash my hands clean as I want clean hands to eat the food you have provided. It's like a grace in that way. But it wasn't a hard and fast rule in the Bible. It wasn't to the level of thou shalt not kill. And they're calling Jesus out for, not, for his followers not following in that tradition and, and assumably for Jesus not following the tradition as well. And I think it's worth on a superficial level for us to ask ourselves about our own traditions of faith. I think that's important. What traditions do you have that affect your faith? Maybe it's around holidays. Maybe it's around your morning worship. What are the traditions, and, um, and what, which of those traditions actually help advance your faith? And are there any traditions that, to be honest, might get in your way? Or more importantly, as we seek to live in covenant community together, as we seek to live as the family of God, what traditions might there be that get in the way of others' faith but you hold tightly to. Isn't that what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing? Holding tightly to a tradition that was getting in the way of other people's faith? Jesus' response happens in verses 3 to 6, and then 7 and 8 also. But in 3 to 6, um, uh, rather than answering uh, the accusation, and Jesus, Jesus often did this, I'm not going to answer your question, but I'm going to give you a question to consider as well. He points out a hypocrisy that they had by highlighting that what might be an even greater violation. The neglect of God's commandment to honor one's parents. Now, I want to, um, I want to be clear that, um, about this commandment. Thou shalt not kill is number six on the ten commandments. The fifth commandment is honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the land that I'm giving you. Okay? Now, we've abbreviated to honor your mother and father and told our children, you got to honor me. But listen to that second part, that your days may be long in the land I'm giving you. What was happening in that story as God is gathering a covenant community together, as God is gathering the family of God together, God is saying, look, folks, when your parents get old, you take care of the elderly. So they'll take care of, your children will take care of you by example. God's saying, my people don't mistreat the elderly. My people take care of the older people in our community. 
Now what was happening and what Jesus is calling them out on is that there's also this thing uh, where um, if you swear that some portion of your money or your possessions belongs to God and that one day you're going to deliver that to God, maybe on your death, but, but it's like saying, look, I got this little pot of gold over here. Mom and dad, I know you're hungry. I know the roof leaks, but this pot of gold is dedicated to God. I'm not, I'm not, I can't give it to you. I've dedicated it to God. It doesn't belong to me. No, it's still mine. I still have it here. And when I take it, I'm going to make sure everybody knows I got a pot of gold I'm taking to church. Their tradition was a little bit different in their offering. They did it quite publicly and in a showy way. So what they were doing was they were dedicating money to God and not caring for their parents. And Jesus was challenging on them. He was calling them out for it. What they were doing is they were calling out Jesus for a tradition that goes back to an Old Testament story of when Elisha washed his hands in a particular way. And they've raised it to the level of commandment. But they've ignored a commandment to honor your mother and father, especially when they get old. And their church giving was like more of a status symbol than a charitable gift. Now, don't get me wrong here. I think church giving is important. <laughs> but if you have to choose between taking care of your mom and dad or making an offering on Sunday, pick mom and dad every time. Jesus, in calling them to account in verse 6, he says that you're nullifying the word of God. You're, you're, you're voiding the word of God by your actions. He uses this strong language to condemn them, stating that their traditions have led to avoiding of that fifth commandment. When human traditions take precedence over God's commandments, the covenant community has failed. We failed each other, especially in that commandment where we failed the elderly among us. And in verses 7 to 9, then, the hypocrisy is exposed. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was one of the prophets, lived about 700 years, plus or minus, uh, before Jesus. Something like that. Um, and uh, and it's, if you look in the Bible, it's like it's the longest book of the prophet books. There's 12 prophet books, and it's the longest of the prophets. And, and, um, and, and, and Jeremiah... Um, uh, Jesus reads Jeremiah's words back to them. And we can look at it from a superficial perspective and we can say, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what it says in, in chapter 15, verse 8. Honor me with their lips, but their... And we can, we can understand that lip service thing, you know. Uh, we know people that give lip service to faith, but don't really live it out in their life. And, and that, was, that was Isaiah's accusation. But the accusation actually goes deeper than that. And it's important when you're reading scripture to go, where else is this mentioned? Well, in this case, we know, they told us it's from the prophet Isaiah. So we go to the prophet Isaiah, and if you look at what's happening, not only in that, that particular verse, but look at the whole story around that verse, you'll find that in Isaiah 
It begins with, woe to you, Ariel. Ariel, the city where David settled. Now, a little quick, a quick uh, uh, Google search will tell you that, uh, that Ariel is Jerusalem. Be careful on your Bible uh, Google searches, right? Because there's some weird stuff that will come up when you Google a Bible. So be careful about what you read uh, because some, I don't want to say some people are wrong in what they understand about faith, but they are. Um, so Ariel, um, Ariel's Jerusalem. Where did the scribes and Pharisees come from? Jerusalem. And, and, and the beginning of this, of this whole story from Isaiah is, woe to you, you folks from Jerusalem. You've been unfaithful to God. And, and your unfaithfulness, again, this is around 700 uh, BC, your unfaithfulness is causing you to suffer. It's gotten you in trouble. And you're suffering the consequences of your unfaithfulness. And by the way, for us today, if we want to look at it from a superficial level, if you are unfaithful to God and you're suffering for it, God's going to let you be unfaithful. And God's going to let you suffer the effects of your unfaithfulness. But here's the rest of the chapter. If we read the rest of the chapter, we'll find what the prophets say over and over and over again. All of the prophets express this. Israel has been unfaithful. Jerusalem has been unfaithful. But God is always ultimately faithful. If you get nothing else out of the prophets, get that. There's a whole lot more. And there's a whole lot more that's really important. But while you have been unfaithful, God never is. God's promises always God follows through on. So if you look at this whole story and this dispute between the Pharisees and Jesus, the Pharisees are pointing out Jesus' unfaithfulness to a tradition, but Jesus is pointing out their unfaithfulness to God's laws. And more than that, Jesus points out that they are as faithful as their forebearers hundreds of years ago. He doesn't just stop there. He points out that they even are unfaithful to God. And they would have heard this passage from Isaiah and they would have thought to themselves, the promise in the prophet is that God ultimately will be faithful. And there would be that recognition that that sometimes that takes time because over and over again the people wander away and it takes decades maybe maybe generations for things to come back around to show God's faithfulness and so these very people who are waiting on God's faithfulness because at that moment they are they are they've been overrun by Rome and, and, and they've got Romans occupying their land and they're wondering when is God going to be faithful? And it's God's Savior talking to them. God's being faithful right then in their presence, and they just don't see it yet. God's always faithful. And I believe in pulling out that Isaiah scripture 
Jesus is pointing to them and saying, look, you're not faithful in this moment, but God is always faithful. And where else do you find in the Bible about God's faithfulness? Well, I just picked a few. 1 John 1, 19, if we confess our sins, <laughs> if we confess our unfaithfulness, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or the book of Lamentations 3, 21 to 23. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because the Lord's great love, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, this version doesn't say thy, but I like that hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. And in 2 Timothy 2:13, if we are faithless, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Meaning that the God we know in Jesus Christ in the New Testament is the same God in the Old Testament. It's consistent all the way through, and that God is always faithful. So it doesn't matter where you are in, in your faith life. If you have found that I've not been faithful or you found that, that I, I haven't measured up to who God wants me to be, where God wants me to be, the good news is that while you may have been unfaithful and while you may suffer the consequences of it, God is always faithful. Always, always offering to you an opportunity to get back into the family. God's out to get you. To get you back into the family of God to live your life in a faithful way, faithful both to God and to one another and to all of his creation and all the people within. God's faithfulness does not depend on yours. But your unfaithfulness can trust that God is always faithful. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness for the great way that you are always faithful to us. Help us, Lord, to always be faithful in return to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.